Have you been enjoying these collaborations with Darren? We've got a bunch of them lined up for the coming week. Some real extreme stories, some stories of foreign incarcerations. I won't say the names, but just just a little teaser. <laughs> what are you laughing at, Sean? <laughs> I should go and get my big black shades to really match you. <laughs> so as you can see, people, we're sporting the same jacket. Kalnach UK jackets. I think we wore these when we went to London, didn't we, Sean? A year ago or something. How long yeah, ago people, was that now, Sean? If people haven't seen the podcast we did when we went to London, where Darren's running around flyering, the police cars almost run him over. It's it's crazy, but it was a good vibe day. We've got a question here off Cobblecraft. Darren, what yeah. did you want to be when you was a child? A singer? A singer, mate. I wanted to be like... Um, what was his name? Stevie... Not Stevie Wonder. He was like a rock and roll star. Can you remember who one about Sean? The singer, rock and roll singer that was Stevie something. He was a dancer. He had that mad dance. Can you do the dance? Well, don't see why not. <laughs> Tell you what his name was. Shaky Stevens. Shaking Stevens. Fucking damn right. I thought I was in when I was a kid, lad. You're going back to the days of Shawaddy Waddy now, la. So that's who inspired me. I wanted to be a singer. I wanted to be Shaking Stevens, if you like. I had no you, did idea. You, what did you want to be when you was younger, Sean? You know, we get two angles to the same question. So the first music I ever bought was Sex Pistols, Holidays in the Sun. So I was a punk rocker. So you wanted to be a punk rocker? Well, I was a punk rocker, yeah, I was into that. Fucking hell, lad. But it wasn't what I wanted to be when I grew up. What I wanted to be when I grew up was a computer programmer. And did you become one? No, I didn't. I, w I went to the stock market instead, but I did learn to program, like, just some basic stuff back when I was a kid. Like, um, what did I have? I had an Atari computer. I think it was an Atari 400 and a ZX Spectrum. Get on you, lad. Jane Evan. <laughs> the first time I seen an Atari Spectrum was in some lad's house. It was like a keyboard thing, weren't it? Yeah. Space Invaders, Frogger, Centipede, yes, all those games. Okay, so that was one question. Don't see any more questions coming on here. So We're that's what I wanted to be when I was younger. Shaken Stevens, Elvis. There's a question, Darren. Are we cold or are we about to do a bank robbery? You said that. <laughs> that was um, Westy. Now, nah, West, we're just cold, lads. Obviously, we look identical at the moment because we've got the same sort of, you know, we look like a pair of serial killers going to catch a body, don't we? <laughs> he says he loves our style. Loving it, guys. Obviously, you can't purchase these jackets. You've got these specially made. So what's happening, people? Let's keep it flowing. It's a different type of night tonight. You know, you normally get me by myself, but tonight Sean's on board, which is fantastic. Got Cobblecroft saying the Blues Brothers. 
Got Graham Jones saying ZX128K with the tapes, whatever that means. You probably know, Sean. Yeah, ZX Spectrum. Got Tyson, yeah. what degree is it where you two are? I'm, you know what? I'm regretting putting this coat on because the hot, mate. <laughs> What's going on with you, Sean? You came in like that. That was quite all right. How come it's cold where you are? <laughs> it's everywhere. It's freezing. Well, it was meant to get better for the weekend, weren't it? But obviously, they haven't got a clue, have they? Yes, St. Thomas. I did a schools talk in Essex the other day, and my car was slipping and sliding. Well, you've got a BM, haven't you? Yep. And with them being rear-wheel drive, mate, they, they, lose, they lose traction very easy, don't they, mate? They like to fishtail. All the time. Jane Everton saying it's minus in, in Merseyside. The Vanquish is saying it's happy to see you guys together. It's a good positive flow, mate, isn't it? Definitely. Taylor Ben, love the ice cold weather, he says. Stephen, respect from Ireland. Jane Everton saying the temperature will rise over the weekend. James Minchin getting really icy out there, dangerous. I'm not going to lie, mate. I've nearly went on my ass a few times. <laughs> you know, because I do... I Look, I've been going out on that bike at six in the morning to the gym. And normally when it's just sweet, I can fly. <laughs> you know, on the bike path, take it. But the other night, like, I see my fucking life flash between my eyes, mate. So I just went, whoa. <laughs> I have to slow down on this fucking bicycle. What's your gym routine these days, Darren? You know what? I was going in deep. I was going every morning. I like to get in there early because it's more... I don't know. I feel like I've got more energy in the morning. You know, I'm more sharper in the morning. Then the later it goes through the day, I sort of get... I sort of wind down. So on the other hand, I... I as you know, Sean, I've been looking to get some sort of psychological assessment to do with me cycle, you know, with me mind, what's going on in there. And for ages, I've been applying to all these gaffes and all this. And then two days ago, out the blue, I got a message saying we need you to come to this NHS facility so we can speak wow. to you. So I went there, spoke to them. They had me in the room, two doctors for an hour. And then I got off, and then the next day they contacted me and said, um, after a consultation, we believe that you need to be taking medication. Are you, will are you willing to take them? I said, well, you know, what is it? So it is what it is. They, they put me in line now to be diagnosed. That's what I said to them. I don't want to start taking medication until you've fully diagnosed me. Do you, do you want me to tell you? I've got... I've got a similar story about this. Do you want me to tell it? Yeah. Yeah. Just let me finish what I'm saying then. Yeah. Go for it. So for years I've developed coping mechanisms of my own, you know, to do with my mental health. I think it's quite obvious, isn't it? To everyone out there that I suffer with something. And when I was getting trolled and when I was getting targeted and harassed by all them evil, weird people in that corner over there, they made it 10 times worse. So it took it took me a lot to develop more more 
powerful coping mechanisms to get through what they were putting me through. So we don't really want to just jump onto medication, do you understand? Because I've seen loads of people who's probably gone through what I've gone through and they've quit and just thought, you know what, I need to go on meds. And they've went on the meds and within six months, they're just, not everyone, but the people that I've witnessed have ended up like in, in some sort of vegetable state, out of shape, too big, not moving correct. And I don't want to be like that and I never will be like that. So if I can get the proper, you know, assessment done so I can be diagnosed and then I'll develop coping mechanisms to deal with that diagnosis, if you understand what I mean. But what was the story you was on about? Totally. It's very subjective, though, so it depends which doctors and staff you're speaking to. For example, then, I got out and I went to the witness mental health team when I got out. Um, what year is this, Sean? This was December 2007. Yeah. Is that when you got so out of prison? Yeah, yeah. That was I on the YouTube you channel. I thought you been out since like, the 90s or something. Oh, no. My crimes were committed in the 90s. The SWAT team yes, came May 16, 2002, got released December 2007. That's when we started the, on YouTube, it was 2007. So the witness mental health team asked me all these questions. I said, yeah, you know, I did a little bit of meds here and there in prison because it makes you crazy. Prison makes you crazy. But now I'm out of prison. I'm going to be fine. And this, you know what they said? They said, when you think you're fine, that's grandiosity. Not only do we need to get you back on the meds, we want to double them. And then I was like, whoa, hold on a minute. So they brought in this regional manager, some Romanian woman, and she goes, I'm going to get to the bottom of this to find out whether you're seriously mentally ill or whether you're just a bubbly eccentric. I'm like, all right, and answered all the questions again. And then they wanted to like do meds. They wanted to do piss tests. They wanted to do home visits. And they were about to section me because I was refusing. But then I moved down south and it ended. Now get this, wild man, my best mate from childhood, who's got red dots in his head telling him to hurt people since he was a teenager, he gets out of prison, 2008, tells them he's got red dots in his head telling him to hurt people. They say he's completely normal and he's just making it all up so he can get extra benefits. And there was nothing wrong with him. And he was laughing his head off. He was like, they told me I'm normal. I must be normal. <laughs> Told you I was normal. Told you, you know I was normal. I've been through the same experience as him. You know, this isn't like I've just started trying to get myself sorted, like people to help me with my mental health. I've been trying for years. When I was coming to the, right through my prison sentence, I was applying to be fucking sorted out, be diagnosed with whatever's going on. I was going through all the shit on the 6th of April. I was having crazy nightmares. I was fighting the walls in me sleep and all this shit. And they were saying, oh, you're fine. Oh, you're fine. Oh, you're fine. But then when it came to the last year of me prison sentence, when they knew I was getting released, they turned up with this doctor and this forensic psychologist asking me to sign this document so they could enroll me in a, in a, um, a psychological assessment, a forensic one. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know what? The minute I sign that document, I'm basically handing myself over to them, aren't I? So I, I refused to sign it for a year. They used it in my parole to not let me get parole. They used it not to let me get a cat D, so on and so forth. 
And then since I've been out, I think it's, as I said before, it's quite evident what's gone on with me. You know, when I got attacked again on the 17th of March, it sort of brought all the trauma that I'd covered from the 6th of April, brought it all back to the front. And then I'm just all over the place. And I haven't really, I never really recovered from it. Do you understand? So months ago, I think he applied when I first came to, might have even been two years ago. And then the COVID kicked in. And then they've gone on me two days ago. A message is when we need to speak to you. Obviously, they've probably been getting intelligence off the authorities about how I'm conducting myself on a few live feeds, haven't they? Well, I'm sure that all the little trolls and snitches out there have been saying things. But the thing is, Darren, a lot of people who are going through things, they don't accept it or acknowledge it. And you've gone on this inner journey, which takes a lot of mental strength because people are scared to go inside themselves to face the trauma. And you've reached that point and you've, you've become more in tune with how your brain fluctuates and your moods and stuff like that. And you're trying to, you know, do continue to do this great work on it. So that's definitely something to be applauded. So this is what it is, mate. So that's where I'm at now. I've gone, I've, I've, you know what, mate? I've, I've, I've developed a lot of empathy towards things. Whereas a few years ago, I had no empathy for fucking nothing or no one, basically. Oh, you're dying is right. See you later. But now I'm just like, it's like I'm dying with them. It's fucking weird, mate. It's fucking a lot. It takes a lot of energy. Ecstasy did that for me. It, it made me empathogenic. Just, you know, it's like you can feel what people feel around you. Well, ecstasy, when it first came out, it was like meant to be a drug of love, weren't it? Yeah, it was described as that, yeah. But then, um, if I remember correctly, there was a young girl, a policeman's daughter, down in London, who's um, died off ecstasy. Was that that Leah Betts, was it? Well, that Leah Betts. And the stories I've heard is it's been her, fa her father and his connections that have been responsible. Everyone's talking about these murders in Essex. And everyone's looking for someone to blame, and it was them, and it was this, and it was this. But what I've heard is they were held responsible for dealing the drugs what killed that policeman's daughter. I don't well, know what the Essex, Essex boys murders. The Essex boys yeah. murders. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether the time correlates and all that, but what I was hearing from within the prison system of certain individuals that them people that were shot dead in that Range Rover were the people that supplied the ecstasy which that policeman's daughter took, and that's the real reason why they got put to bed. That is fascinating. But, I never heard that, Darren. But I don't know. I don't. You know, I didn't want to get involved because there's that many, there's that many angles that are around that story, and everyone's blaming other criminals, and everyone's blaming this, that, and the other. But as we move on now, twenty years later, and we're realising, like Freemasonry and the connections that criminals have had with the law in the past, and so on and so forth. So I was under the opinion, and they have been for a long time, that the whole reason why them kids in the Range Rover was blasted to death was because they supplied the tablets that kill uh, Leah Betts. Very possible. The police are the biggest mafia. You kill a mafia princess, there's going to be payback. Well, that's all the police used to tell us. 
years ago, mate, you know, when they used to drag us in the van or when they used to raid our house and grab us and do do what they needed to do, we're the biggest firm in this city. They always used to boast about it, you know what I mean? So the right, aren't they? You can't fuck with them if they want you gone or they want you locked off or they want your life to be messy. They can have your life in a fucking mess if they want to, can't they? Well, Pablo Escobar tried to take the cops out. He offered rewards for the assassinations of different police, depending upon how high their ranking was, up to like hundreds of thousands for the top cops. But, you know, the government just sent got more police from around Colombia and just sent more and more police in. It's an army that you cannot wipe out. They've got unlimited money. They've got unlimited government resources. And they, they've got all the time in the world. So they will always dominate and prevail in the long run. I'm surprised no one's heard that theory about why that um, why them kids got killed in that Range Rover in Essex. But I that I heard that early days. And he were, and it was from, you know, high ranking criminals from down south, if you like. Cause the majority of my prison was down south in the London prisons, you know it? Yeah. He wouldn't let me go up north because of my name and my notoriety up this end of the country. So they, on purpose, kept me down that end of the country. So I was mixing with a lot of people. You know, old school. So, Are they receptive to Scousers in the London prisons? Depends how the Scouser is, mate. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're a dirty Scouser, you know, if you're one of them loud, fucking horrible... Who thinks the only fucking you just get dealt with? But you know when you've been in prison most of your life, you you seem to acknowledge everyone. It doesn't matter if they're from London, Manchester, Birmingham. You mix with everyone. You know when you've been in them settings for a long, long time, where they're from doesn't make a difference. It's all about their attitude and the personality towards you. That's what's the difference is with real scousers. So yeah, any questions same, here for us to keep this flowing? It's the same everywhere, isn't it? The rats will get exposed. They always do. So when you come back to ecstasy, so years ago it was meant to be like it was meant to be a drug that spread peace and love. And perhaps it was, weren't it? But when 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 the drug dealers, as always, when they realised there was a market in there, they like to cut it and bash it and add other substances to it, so it goes further. <clears throat> but the government is, is responsible for that as well, Darren, because what they did was they said, right, ecstasy, we're going to stop it. We're going to make sure all the chemicals, all the ingredients for pure ecstasy are stopped. So they stopped all of the original pure ingredients. And then the gangsters just started putting in any old shit. And then that's why the price went down to nothing. Because it wasn't real ecstasy anymore, and that's where it is now, and that causes the deaths. So when you see like ten kids die at a rave, that's not pure ecstasy. Pure ecstasy would never do that. Maybe one would die every so you know every so often, but it's extremely rare. When you see a bunch of kids die at a rave, that is because the ecstasy's cut to shit, and the government <coughs> that a lot of that is the problem is caused by the government preventing the pure ecstasy ingredients from being. Well, I remember years anymore. ago. I remember years ago, Sean. You know, I've done jail with kids who had um, tablet makers, and they were making their own designs of tablets. And 
you know, you'd have double doves and you'd have this and you'd have that. And, da, da, da. and they were making these in a little bedroom in the back somewhere, you're on it. But when I was involved in crime in, in uh, like, late 90s, I was involved with a group of lads from Liverpool, the likes of, um, I don't need to mention the names, but I was in, I was involved with them. And when I was involved with them, they always used to get the first, like, the first batch of any new drug that came into the city, whether it was, whether it was trips, whether it was, like, do you remember LSD? Yeah, California Sunshine, Microdots, Gel Tabs. Well, that's what I mean. So initially we were getting like the strawberries, the um, MSBs and them strawberries made you laugh. But out of nowhere, you got these things, what you've just said, Microdots that look like flints out of lighters, didn't they? Yeah, mind, body and soul. Yeah, so as, as you go along, it went from the LSD, it went into the ecstasy, it went from the tablet form and then one of the boys out of the blue ended up with this powder saying it was pure MDMA and he called it magic. Now, when it first landed in Liverpool, it was the cleanest. We were, we were first with the access to it. And it was clean. It was bright white. It was a crystal form. And you just had one dab, take it. You'd be flying on a happy buzz. And there'd be no come down. You know, when you see people sledging off the tablets because it's all bashed and shit, you wouldn't get none of the sledging. You'd have one dab, you'd be flying all night in a happy mood and you'd wake up with no no side effects. It'd just be clean and pure. And then as you're going along, all of a sudden, that clean, pure was starting to look brown and starting to look yellow and starting to da 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 And that's where they started bashing it with the likes of ketamine and stuff. So when they were having this magic, Instead of it being a happy evening, it'd be happy, boom, into a kettle, happy, boom, kettle. You know, like that fluctuation. But let me just reiterate right now, people, in my eyes, in my mind, all drugs are bad for any human being. Obviously, if there's got to be drugs, it'd be better if they was clean and monitored and coming from the correct establishments or the, or the right places. But in a real mindset, drugs are no good. That's why I've packed the cannabis in, and I suggest you all do the same. Yes, Sophie Sparks, Strap Blaster, Martin Vegas, Luke Burgess. So have you got anything on your mind you want to discuss that might be interesting, Sean? Any little topics that you can throw into? Yeah, just, just continuing that then. So in raves now, they've got some areas where they let you test your ecstasy. And it's like they can't arrest you for it. It's like they figure if you got it in, they want to test it, see if it's pure or see if it's bunk to prevent these kids from dying. What do you think about that? I think it's a good thing. Jane Evan, what are they like? I've never done any drugs. I've seen it. They're not terrible. I think it's a good thing because it keeps people safe. So when you test this ecstasy, it'll tell them whether it's a bad dose or if it's, a, it's an okay dose. And if they're going to take it, they're going to take it no matter what. But if they've got these tests to say, hang on a minute, it could be touch and go if you take that one. It might make them think twice about it. At least people are taking... The people that are going to take the drugs anyway will be taking it in a more clean form, which isn't going to harm them or kill them. And you're seeing it consistently year in, year out. When the festival's on, you've got young girls passing away through taking all sorts of forms of drugs. In 
in Liverpool, in you know, girls come into Liverpool from just outside the area and they pass away in their hotel rooms and the autopsy gets done and it and it indicates that they've had this amount of this substance in the body. So imagine that though, mate. Imagine having a daughter. She's gone out with her mates for the night and she doesn't come home through drugs. I went on a TV show with a woman who was in that situation. I think they put me on as an ecstasy trafficker and the mum thinking there was going to be beef. And we said the exact same thing. If it's all tested and regulated, these kids won't be dying. And she came up at the end of the TV show and gave me a big hug with tears in her eyes and said we were on the same page. She said that her daughter, what she did was she found pure ecstasy, but she didn't know how to measure the dose. And she had over 10 hits in one go, and she'd never done it before. And that's what caused her to die. And if she'd have known she was just how to get just one hit, she wouldn't have died. Which brings us on to more recent synthetic types of substances, doesn't it? You know, and in particular, mate, you've got a lot of people taking this, these gas things, these gas balloons, these, this helium shit. Are you aware of that? I've had them offered to me just on the streets. Yeah, so what I'm saying is, when I first got introduced to them, I'm on the estate and one of my brother's friends is has got a graft just selling these boxes of balloons, 24 for £12 or something like this. And they were in little minuscule silver canisters and there was a certain dosage in these little minuscule canisters and the individuals could say, right, three's enough or four's enough. They'd know it. Although they shouldn't be taking it because later on in life it, it can cause Alzheimer's, it can cause strokes and heart attacks, you know, without without the kids realising now what they're doing. Later on in life, that's the effects of it. But there was a lot less people, a lot less youth dying off taking that when they had them in the little silver doses. Now what you've got is all these people, um, you've got sites on Instagram, you've got sites on Snapchat, you've got sites coming across your Facebook, and it's, they put it across as if it's used for making cakes or doing all this mad shit. But now they're buying these canisters, and they look like fire extinguishers, and they don't know the dosage that's going in the balloons that they're taking. And the minute they suck this in, the mind's freezing, they're hitting the fucking deck, and it's touch and go. Where did he come back? And you don't hear about it because up and down the land, you've got you've got people having a dose of this and, and having a heart attack and not coming back from it. You don't hear it. You don't hear the statistics because there's a lot of death related to other stuff. But the bottom line is, amongst the youth, amongst all fucking youth, all teenagers, I'd say that's one of the biggest pandemics when it comes to drugs amongst the youth. Obviously, you've got the cocaine, you've got the substances like that. But the new sort of party drug is this gas. And I tell you what, they don't realise the consequences of their actions because there is stories out there of young men, young girls, that's had it once or twice and then on the daytime, bang, they've survived, but they're paralegic. They can't move their legs, they can't move their arms, they're stuck in a wheelchair and they regret the fucking actions. And I don't think there's enough awareness raised for the youth to encourage them to stop taking it. Because the government doesn't give a shit. That's why our mission is more education and less incarceration for the young people when it comes to drugs. That should be the government's policy. But Luke Burgess in the chat, he's pointed out in the US the fentanyl problem. So 
I interviewed a psychiatrist recently out of Canada. He said, I wish we could go back to the good old days of heroin because of all the fentanyl deaths. And then when I was on tour with Michael Francis recently, he told us that his daughter, I think she's in her 20s, a boyfriend, like these are college kids, he took what he thought was a Xanax, had fentanyl in it, and he died within a couple of minutes. It's mad. It's mad. And obviously, America's a completely different place, isn't it? They've got different laws. They've got different agendas over there. They've got different types of substances. I don't think... I don't think fentanyl's hit the roads here. If it has, it's it's very, very, it's not as popular as it is over there. But in my eyes, within this country, within our city, when you're seeing all these drill artists on camera, on YouTube, smoking these balloons, it's doing nothing but encouraging other people to take these balloons. Because I remember when I was a kid and you used to get a helium balloon and you used to get the helium balloon and suck it in, you'd be going, hello. And everyone would think it's funny. I don't think it's the same type of gas, is it? Is it nitrous oxide? I don't think it's the. I don't think it's the same. It's not helium gas, then, is it? Like the one that was it, big. The one that was big in the rave scene in America. I've nitric oxide in the past because I've took That's nitric the... oxide as a as a supplement for training. So years ago, when I was in Parkhurst, you had this supplement magazine that you could order from, and all of a sudden they had this new thing. And it was called nitric oxide caplets. And you used to, they were like horse tablets. But you used to take nine a day, three in the morning, three in the afternoon, three before bed. But what they used to do for you when you were training is you see all your arteries and your veins, they'd open them right up so the blood could get to the muscles faster and they make you swell up dead fast. So it's probably the same thing, isn't it? Well, that's what was big in the rave scene in America was nitrous oxide. Well, whatever it is, it's wrong because the, the, the children of today are abusing it as if it's, you know, the in thing and they don't realise the long-term damage. Never mind the short-term damage. If you, It's not even if you're unlucky. You know, it's touch and go whether you get a fucking bad batch or have the wrong, wrong inhale of the dose. And as I say, mate... No word of a lie, there is beautiful young girls that go to a party, go to a club, have one of these balloons, two of these balloons, on the third one, bang, they fall onto the floor. Some people can have cardiac arrests, some people can end up paralytic, and it's just messy. I can only understand the trauma that they're going through, and even more so the family. That's why I'm dead against any any youth taking any sort of substances, especially when they don't know the right dosage. They don't know where it's coming from. If it's coming from the back streets off a off a back street dealer, it can be even dirtier. It can be bashed. They're like the majority of the young girls in Liverpool who was who was snorting cocaine. They're not snorting cocaine. You know, every gram they buy about about a point two of that gram is cocaine. The other point eight. It's just fucking messy fucking bash. Sometimes it's it's synthetic cocaine. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, they cut it with all kinds. Because I used to live on the border with Mexico. And we used to go into Mexico and get the pure stuff. We were able to get like a kilo for $12,000. But the stuff in London, it's laxative, rat poison, all kinds of shit in it, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is what it is, mate. It's like... Um, it's like... Um, You've got this synthetic drug called Spice. 
And uh, three years ago, I, I had a lot of drug dealers turn on me because they exposed the fact that there was drug dealers in the city of Liverpool going out, buying these Cali cans. You know, there was a big phase, everyone wants Cali weed, everyone wants Cali weed. They were going out, buying these Cali cans in the thousands where you could just screw the bottom off. They were getting, like, say, weed that was grown in Spain, you know, just like a haze. They'd get it back, they'd put it in a tent, kilos of it. They'd get this spice in the liquid form and they'd spray the weed. They'd spray the weed. They'd let it dry and then they'd start putting out there like it was Cali weed. And you could see the kids deteriorating off the weed and thinking, wow, is he on the gear? When it's not, they think they're smoking potent, potent herbal cannabis. When in reality, the dirty dying drug dealers have went and sprayed this spice on it. So when they're selling, when they're selling a three-five of Spanish haze, they're getting a little twenty-five quid for it. The minute it's in a Cali tin and a lot more potent, they're getting sixty-five quid for it. And that's what they were doing right across the city. And I start speaking about it. Everyone thinks I'm chatting shit. There was a handful that believe what I was saying, and they're probably still doing it right now. Do you understand what I mean? But it happens. Yeah, they're pulling all, the young people. They get all kinds of scams pulled on them by drug dealers, cutting stuff, pretending stuff is this, pretending stuff is that, and then the government's just waiting for those kids, same kids, to get arrested so they can throw them into prisons. So they're getting fucked over by both ends. It's really sad. But how would you conquer it? What, what's your idea of you know stabilizing the drug issue in this country? The government needs to end the war on drugs and mass incarceration. Prisons of a people who harm other people. If you look at how crime has been defined for thousands of years, murder, robbery, rape, person A harms person B. If you arrest a kid who's in possession of drugs, who's that kid harming? I understand what you're saying, but if it's for own use, who's he harming? But if you arrest a kid who's in possession of drugs and he's selling them drugs to other kids, he's harming an awful lot of people, not just the people that are purchasing the drugs off them, but their family too. So what, what about is, personal what is, use? Yeah, what if is you look at, If you look at the war on drugs... How do you address that? Is there any examples of other countries that you can put forward to say, well, look what this country's doing, that system would work better than this country? Have you got any examples? Yeah, definitely. Look at America, right? So at the height of the war on drugs... The highest arrest category was weed possession, almost a million arrests a year. And even now, there's still hundreds of thousands of arrests a year for weed possession in America, even though some states have legalized and decriminalized. Versus, look at Scandinavia, look at Holland, where they're not filling their people up with these ridiculous low-level drug offenses into the prisons. America now has got one in a 100 adults in prison. Before the war on drugs, before mass incarceration, women hardly ever went to prison. It was women who became the fastest growing prison population. Hundreds of thousands of women in prison right now in America, low-level drug offenders. But the thing is, the contracts, Darren, they're in the tens of billions a year from the private prisons. So they kick down tens of millions a year to both political parties. So whoever wins the election, they keep those contracts going. It's a shakedown on the taxpayers. And that's exactly what's happening on a smaller scale within this country. Because obviously, when you look at the numbers in the American prisons, I think it's 70% um, black men, isn't it? Oh, for black guys in America, I mean, I think I think the black population in America is like 12%, 13%. 
and some prisons they're nearly all black guys. In Arizona, one of the guards said to me, "You should have committed your crimes in Chicago because we only arrest black people." And I, I heard a, a cop say, "I go into black neighborhoods. It's like shooting fish in a barrel to make my arrest quotas." Can you believe that, Darren? In America, they have arrest quotas. Well, you know, you know what, you know what, Sean. I'm not just saying this, but it's exactly the same down south. The majority of the prisons down south are filled up with black lads. And that's fact. There's no way of getting about it. And now they can keep on saying, well, the black lads commit more violence. and the, 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 the. No, the black lads are targeted more than the white lads. And they always have been in the areas around London. You know, if you go back 20 years ago and you see the way that Norris killed Lawrence and he was able to walk around for 10 years free as a fucking bird and no one was convicted for it, even though they knew who was responsible for it. Don't think for one minute the way another people of black origin being fucking targeted and attacked and no justice was given to them. And when they did complain to the police, they would be accused of being the one that instigated the problem and be locked in prison. And when you go into the prison system down south, whether you're in Swaleside, Wormwood, Scrubs, whatever, all them prisons down there, the majority of the inmates are people of colour. Simple as that. When we wake up in the morning, we get out of bed and we start our day with Koro Snacks. Koro is a healthy snacks brand focusing on bringing additive-free natural ingredients to their customers with fair prices in bulk packaging. They have everything from nut butters to free from baking ingredients to cooking essentials and, of course, the snacks. doesn't get healthier than this because all those other snacks have refined sugars, colours, preservatives and additives. Koros snacks have none of that. Oh, I can't wait. So I'm going to go for the bio energy ball today. Ooh, Salty pistachio. I've got a little uh, chocolate bar here, I think. Oh, the coconut chocolate bar. Mmm. Oh, that's mm. good. Want to try it? Ooh. <laughs> so what makes Coro special in comparison to others? Coro avoids using sulfur, refined sugars, preservatives, colours and other additives. For a 5% discount on Coro's products, use the code TRUECRIME with no space in between true and crime. The link to Coro's online shop is in the description box on YouTube. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. In America, they had to expand it to the white people because the prison system got so big, but they targeted the poorest white people because they know don't, they don't live on a street where they can get, you know, their neighbours are judges and lawyers and they don't have money. If they just give them a public defender, they just roll over and go to prison and the prisons get $60,000 a year of taxpayers' money per person. It's out of control over there. What would you... How can you address this? Because just like in America, the government decided to privatise 80% of the prisons within this country. And you'd ended up getting private security companies, whether it was G4, Seiko, fucking all these mad companies came in, secured all the contracts of the prisons that were up for tender. 
went in there, got 20-year contracts on them. And the way they deal with their prison is this. Give you everything, the more quiet you are. If you don't get nothing, there's more incidents. So when when these private companies get the contracts, they get fined. They get fined for situations. Like when I, when I first, in 210, if you were in a private prison and a kid hung himself, that prison would be fined a million pounds for every suicide. That's fact. Every mobile, every mobile phone that was recovered that came over the wall or through a visits, that prison would be fined. Anyone that had a serious assault, the prison would be fined. So what they done in the prisons, the private prisons, was give everyone Sky TV, put tellies in the cell, give them decent food, left them out the cell. So the kids knew if you fucked up here, you're going back to state-run prisons. And like in America where you've got the federal prison and then you've got the other type of prison, there is a big difference. And that's what they do in this country. They'll use the private sector as, hang on, if you want to go back to a shithole and you're not getting out your pad and you're not getting this and you're not getting that, you carry on like a cunt and you'll be gone. Also, on top of that, if they was getting phones, if they did go in a cell and see an inmate with a phone, they'd brush it under the carpet, there'd be no repercussions, there'd be no, you know, nothing had come off it, so they could avoid the fines at the end of the year. And that was a continuous thing within the private sector. And I've always said, although the private sector lets you out your cell, lets you have more clothes in, lets you have more luxuries, lets you wear your big Rolexes, lets you have your four grand fucking suits and all this, that's what it's like in there. You go into some of them private prisons, mate, and it's like a fucking... It's like a fashion parade. Everyone's got fucking £500 shoes on. Everyone's got steroids, everyone's got drugs, everyone's got phones because the, they're not moving to people. They're not, they don't want to recover these substances because the hierarchy know the more shit that we find and recover and document, the more money we lose at the end of the year. And I've always stated that, you know what, although you get the life of Riley in the private sector, you don't really progress. You don't really get what you need to be getting whilst you're doing it. In the state-run prisons, although it's brutal, although it's very regimental, you know where the fuck you stand. Whereas in the private prisons, the officers are that corrupt. I'm telling you now, in them private prisons, you can pay, depending on what prison you're in, you can pay. If you've just come from a cate, so for example, you'd have people coming from a cate your Kenny Noise and all these notorious criminals that's been in the Cate system for ages. They've worked a way to get themselves to Lardham Grange because they know in Lardham Grange, within the OCA department, you know, the, the, the ones that send you out and, and recategorise you, they know within that department in Lardham Grange, you can pay certain individuals to get your wicked little way. And these Cates that have been high risk for years Landing Loudon Grange, and within 18 months, they're fucking off to a cat D. They get the the landing Loudon Grange is a B cat because they've got a C cat accommodation on there. They don't even leave the prison, they'll go from a B cat in the first year, they'll be on a C cat. The next year, they're gone. They're in a D cat, and it happens to loads of notorious criminals who have got the money to pay out. And that's what happens in the private sector, you know, mate. And I'm not bullshitting you. That's the way it is.
I can confirm somewhat on that, Darren, because we spoke to people who've committed serious violent crimes in private prisons and got caught and got away with it because they didn't want it to report against the record of the private prison because then they get those fines. They get fines and end up losing the contracts and stuff like this, and that's what these big um, security corporations just do not want. And as you said before, just like in America, mate, it's a billion-pound business in this country, and that's why they do let certain influencers go out there talking about rape, talking about violent crime, shooting guns, murder. You see all these rappers from London who are going viral. The majority of them are black kids, and the majority of the black kids that are drilling, that are being given the avenue to go viral, the shit that they're spitting is influencing thousands of black kids in the streets of London. And, and as I say... With every big business, you consistently need customers. So, for example, when you're going into your Asda's, when you're going into your Tesco's, these are run by big corporations from somewhere else in the world. They've invested in these things. They've got shareholders in these things. And then shareholders every year want to see a, a profit on their shares. And the only way they earn profits within the prison system is by, an, by having commodities like any other business. Unfortunately, for the boys off the estates, it doesn't matter whether you're white, Asian or black these days, it doesn't matter now. It, you are the commodity to that business. And once you go in, you go into the reception area, you're issued with an identification number. They call it a P-nomous number now. It used to be a prison number. But now they've changed it into a P nomish number. The minute that child or that teenager is issued with that P nomish number, it doesn't matter what's going on in his life. He can be arrested a year later because he's got that identification number next to him. He's more likely going to go straight back into the system because he's now part of that system. He's a commodity in that system. It's like a new birth certificate, if you like. People won't understand that, but... That's the way it is. If you're getting $60,000 a year in America per prisoner or in this country, whatever it is, 50, 60,000 pounds, you want to keep your cost down. So to maximize your profits, you've got either three or four people in a cell designed for one person. Or now in America, they've got these super warehouse dorms that hold hundreds and hundreds of prisoners like battery hens. And you've got a couple of guards looking over them because the guards is like the major cost of the staff and expenses. So, yeah, human beings completely reduced to commodities. You've absolutely nailed it, Darren. That's what it is. And, it, and the easiest people to arrest are the kids with drugs. They're the lowest hanging fruit. It's hard to arrest a dealer. I've spoke to cops. They said they were assigned to infiltrate a student group, get them smoking weed, and arrest them all at the end of the month. And that's not what I signed up for. Cops have told us that, people we've interviewed. I don't think they go to that levels in this country. What they do in this country, lad, is they use social media platforms and you'll have certain companies that will let. So, for example, if I go out there and start spitting violent lyrics, I'll be shut down instantly because I'm not assigned or I'm not signed to a certain music production company. But they will, they will go out, look at anyone that's going viral and go rope them in, give them nice job, make them look rich, give them what they want and say, continue spitting your fire. 
the fire coming out of the mouth of these drill artists now in London is pure hatred, violence, murder, rape, gun crime, knife crime. And what it does, it, it influences the youth who are in the school playgrounds. And that's why you're seeing crazy knife crime existing in the city of London. That's why you're seeing up and down the country, it's spread like wildfire. And that's what it is. They use everything they can to influence the kids to start getting into crime, especially my type of kid, especially my type of kid that's grown up on an environment that's purposely designed to make us lead a path of crime. And that's why you've got hundreds of thousands of kids entering the prison system on a regular basis, year in, year out. The purposely closing community centres up and down the land and the purposely creating new prison places. And there's, that's what it is. It's because of the big business. Every children, every child is a commodity. So in America... I feel, I feel like they target... I feel like they target more the families where there's no dad on the birth certificate. The mums that have got children without the dad name on the birth certificate, I feel like they're all lumped in the same areas. If you want a council house, you're getting a council house, but it's there in that area. And they're just, you know, they're left to rot in this environment where the kids have got no choice. They've got no alpha male leading them. They've got no way of remaining in school because they're not getting disciplined at home by a male. Mums do a fantastic job, but this is all part of the process. And when you start speaking about stuff like this, people think you're chatting fucking crazy shit. But in 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 real reality, in in the re realness of the world, that's what they're doing. They're creating paths of life, knowing quite well through the influences that they let flow into the neighbourhoods, whether it's music, whether it's films, whether it's drug dealing. They continue to let that happen, knowing quite well. 80-90% of the kids on them estates are going to end up committing crimes and at one point in their teenage years end up in the prison system if they're not shot dead or murdered. I've got a few things to add to that, Darren. So the prison system, they want clients for life. They go after the poorest kids, single-parent mom kids, care-home kids. Now, in America, this whole thing is called the school-to-prison pipeline and the music is a huge part of it. So Rick Ross, the rapper, was a prison guard. He's not the real Rick Ross. The real Rick Ross was a cocaine trafficker that did life in prison. He's out now. I've spoke to him. He's in one of my books. And he had that name, Freeway Ricky Ross. And he was getting his coke from the CIA, but they set him up. Then this rapper comes along, steals his name, and he's out there doing these raps, all this stuff, you know, trying to corrupt the minds of the youth. So that they'll go to prison. And then if you look at the record labels, who's putting the money in, it's the same investors putting the money in the record labels as putting the investments in the private prisons. Yeah, it's the same corporations, isn't it? Yeah. And like, like, like in 95, 96, mate, when, you, when we started there and the likes of Tupac and Biggie Smalls and 50 Cent and they were spitting all this gang rap, that was all implemented on purpose. That was to influence the communities and create gang culture and create gun violence and drug taking. What we're seeing now, 20 years forward, is the same, exactly the same tactic, exactly the same method, only in this country, they're using drill music. 
drill now drill music of today is like rap music of back in the day and they're using it for exactly the same reasons but what can you do about it mate other than educate raise awareness and try and encourage the youth to realize you're being used you're being damaged by the music you're listening to it's all meant to be happening because it's a purposeful thing that's going on if you don't start understanding what the fuck you're listening to you will eventually start thinking you are what's coming out of them out of their mouths you start participating in the violence you end up in the prison system when you go into the prison system the gang you were on your community with half of them are already in there so it starts becoming comfortable for you in the prison system so when you do get out there's not really anything to stop you committing crime again because your boys are in there before you know it you're in and out the system like a fucking dickhead and the only reason the only people that are making money out of it is the big corporations that want you in prison that want your family broken down and it's you can only scream and shout about it so much until you know what do you do it's up to the individuals it's up to the boys off the estates to start hang on he's talking fucking sense why are we all killing each other? Why am I shooting dead or stabbing that kid over there who I've known since school? Where's this ideology coming from? It's, it's mad, isn't it? We're living in the Matrix, Darren, and the people who we think are our leaders, who we can trust, are our biggest psychopathic liars on the face of the earth, just viewing us as cattle that they could squeeze every little bit of money out of, like they're not wealthy enough, and it's absolutely sickening. So, yeah, so all these kids are just getting played by both sides. The investors are putting the music out there. When the kids get arrested, they're making money off the other side from the private prisons. So people need to wake up. If you're out committing crime and doing drugs, you might think it's cool, but you're actually just suckers for these psychopaths that are running the Matrix who are looking to put you away for the rest of your life because they're handing out time like crazy right now in this country, especially for drugs. They're looking to put you away. They put you away for 10 years, £60,000 a year. What's that? £600,000 they just made off your back. It's fucking messy, Sean. I can't. I've been on it for years, you know. I've been on it for years. But as I say, there's, you know, it doesn't matter what your colour of skin is now. It's spread up and down the country. Every, every, every teenager that ends up in the prison system, it's a commodity. And whether we like it or not, social media is playing its part these days. And what I've noticed is um, you can be as positive as light. You can be out there being positive and you will not be getting views and you will not be going viral. But if you are negative, if you're very negative or very violent, you're going viral. And that's the way society is these days because that's the way they want it. They don't want us... In a community, do you remember? Well, when we first grew up, we used to have a community, and we'd all defend each other, we'd all protect each other. If the police came on the estate, all of us and the neighbours would go Shh, move away from them. As soon as the police were gone, we'd all come back and rejoice and communicate. If the family was hungry, everyone would be getting fed. And da -da 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 -da. now, on the same estate, you've got that group of lads snarling with this group of lads. They're killing each other. Soon as that group and that group kill, soon as the fatality between them, it's a generational fucking problem. You know, you've got kids growing up who are 
nine years old, don't even know why the 16-year-old got killed five years ago, but the part of the group, you know, the ideology of that group is we hate that group. So these kids are growing up not even knowing the real reason why they're hating on the kids across the road. And that's the way they've got it now. It's perfect for them. It's like a conveyor belt of kids. And out of 10, 10 kids on that conveyor belt, eight of them are going to end up in the system. And that's the way they want it, especially within the council estates. It is a complete and utter conveyor belt. That's a really good description of it. It's fucking mad. I'm, and when I, when I speak about the conveyor belt, I don't know why, but it brings me to a Pink Floyd song from years ago that, it, that I, I used to see on the telly a lot. And it's got this video and it's just like a big conveyor belt. And you've just got all humans on the conveyor belt going into there, getting spit off into that way and into that way. And it, the image, <laughs> it is what it is. That's exactly what it's like, if you understand what I mean. Mama should have trust the government. <laughs> so let's see if there's any questions here Dan N it's crazy Gateshead Angel saying the wall Vernum saying facts Sandra Mavinci saying south of Manchester Brendan Maguire when people are divided they are more or less conquered Government yes and, I was thinking that divide and conquer been doing it for centuries damn right mate Peter Neves, I'm fine. So it is what it is, Lars. Should we move on? I think we've gone a little bit deep there. We don't want to... How long have you got, Sean? Are you allowed to stay on all night or...? Yeah, I'm all good, Lars. Not all night. I go till 11 o'clock. So if the conversation's flowing as good as it is, there's no reason for bailing, is there, mate? Oh, keep it going. Get some questions in the chat, people. If you've got anything for us, ask us anything. Yes, Jordan 89. Hope you're well, mate. And as you're saying, what you're listening to is people. Some of you might understand some things. Some of you might understand things. And that's what that's what conversation's about. You know, it's about provoking thoughts. It's about keeping you engaged. Obviously, if the platform was flying good enough, we'd be able to put the link out there and we'd be able to assess certain individuals to jump on the live. But once we start reaching higher numbers in the views, at the moment we've got 328. And as I said before, if it was being negative, if it was being volatile, it'd probably be a 600, wouldn't it? And that's what's disgusting about these social media platforms. The more negative, the more hateful you are, the more of a following you receive, I think. And it's fucking messy, isn't it? I've got life lessons on my channel, Darren, and they don't get any views. I've got prison gang rape and beheading stories, and they get hundreds of thousands of views. So it's all the dark content that definitely gets promoted. And I watched yeah. a video today. I got There's a channel out of America called Valuetainment. My, my friend Patrick Bet David runs it. And he did a study on TikTok, and he said TikTok's owned by China. So in China, the videos that get promoted to the Chinese kids are yeah, them doing positive things. In America, the videos that get promoted to the American kids on TikTok and them doing idiotic things. It's like it's been weaponized. In a way, yeah. But when you've got TikTok in this country, this government has still got a say of what we see on TikTok. So as you say, because China's established the, that platform, they do their children, anyone registered under 18 years old, 
everything that comes across their TikTok platform is educational about history, about life skills, about, you know, positive thing that's going to educate the children in a good way. Whereas over here, you've got girls acting like dirty things. You've got you've got drill artists spitting pure madness. You've got pure true crime documentaries and all this mad stuff. But these are children getting access to that content. Well, you remember years ago when you were growing up and it was videos, VHSs, and they had big 18 stickers stuck on the side. And if you went into if you went into Blockbuster to get like a fucking a die a die two movie or something, they'd go, No, you're not 18. But here we are 20 years later, it doesn't matter. You're seeing porn, you're seeing beheadings, you're seeing, you know, content and coverage that you just shouldn't be getting access to as a youth. What's your favourite diehard scene, Darren? I, th- I can't really remember it, mate, but I think it's where he's on the top of the, where he's on the top of a hotel, I think, and you've got the policeman at the bottom. What oh yeah, yeah. What about the bit where the, the supervillain is like, I think he's a German guy, Klaus, something like that, and the guy gets high on coke and thinks he can negotiate with him, <laughs> and the Klaus just kills the guy. I've just brought that up because it's one of them films with Bruce Wayne and everyone says, wow, you look like Bruce Lane. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, sorry, yeah. Where's yeah. Bruce Wayne from? Is he from Batman? I think you're on about... Um, yeah, there is a Wayne in, in Batman, isn't there? And then there's John yeah, Wayne, Bruce the cowboy. Yeah, Bruce Wayne, he was Batman, wasn't Bruce, he? Bruce Wayne, yeah, yeah, that's it. Anyway, let's not go there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of them Philip. I'm not one of them film fucking critics or whatever you want to call it. Brendan Maguire, lads, was in the middle of watching John C. Sutton podcast, ex-prison officer. John was just starting on the Freemasons. Wow, they are everywhere. Everywhere. Well, let's not speak about them. They've had enough content out of me in the last few days. They nearly got me blocked off TikTok until I appealed, and they put the video back up, which is fantastic. <laughs> so what is, people? Got Ginger Akiso and Sean, you related to Tupo, live near Ringer Bells, witness. Oh, Ringer Bells, right? That was the first witness pub I went to when I got out of prison. My mates, Hammy and Wildman, that was one of their haunts. And it was the cemetery opposite the Ringer Bells where Wildman, when he was a kid, he walked into the Ringer Bells and asked the hooligans if they would break his arm. Yes, so they took him over to the cemetery, put his arm on a gravestone, and they were all trying to bash, bash, bash his arm, bro. I think they had to get, like, a baseball bat or something in the end to break his arm. And then Wildman went off with his broken arm, threw himself over a cracked pavement near the railway station. A cop saw him, said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And his whole plan all along was to get a compensation claim in for, for falling over this cracked pavement near the station. And he got it because the cop was his witness. Someone saying, get Decker on, he's wanting to chat with you too. Someone else is saying, Vernon 10, V10 Vernon is saying, Darren, UAPs thoughts. What's a UAP, mate, you know? That's the modern term now, Darren, for UFOs. Oh, we had it? Robbie Williams on, didn't we? And Robbie Williams had seen UFOs. And what are you saying, UAPs? It's unidentified aerial phenomena. Is that what it's called now, yeah? What's my That's thoughts on it? Term. 
It's what? Someone's asking for our thoughts on it. What's your thoughts on that, Sean? Well, we've interviewed loads of people on it. So the two thoughts are that the government has secret military technology that people see from time to time. That, you know, they can't, it can't be explained and the government won't admit it. And then if you look at, you know, how vast the universe is and over an infinite time, it would be silly, really, to think that there couldn't be other life out there. I think there's other life out there. At some point in time, there's got to be. But doesn't doesn't it doesn't it get to the point where if the governments was to admit that there is other civilizations in the skies, does that not eradicate all religion on this planet? And if all religion on this planet was eradicated, would they not go into civil war instantly? Well, that's a good observation because th- these institutions of social control will be under threat. And the conventional story we've been told, you know, there'll be no credibility left in the purveyors of that, the psychopaths in the matrix that are running the world. So we're in this illusionary state. And some of the guests we've had on have said the government has alien technology. They have had access to, you know, crashed craft, things like that. I don't know whether it's true or not, but these things just tend to come out over time, don't they? The more and more lies the government has hid from us. Well, you've got to understand that the governments that run the run the, this world that we live in, they've been running these places for hundreds of years, mate. You know, the majority of us humans come in midway through their plan, spend a little 50 to 70 years here and then disappear. Then governments continue on for hundreds of years, continuing with the same plan. So, for example, if these big governments are evil and they are whatever, whatever, they've had a plan for 200, 300, 400 years. When we're born, we're only here for 50 years. By the time we start realising in your 40s, you disappear and so just fuck all their plan carries on. So... We're just like a workforce that generates energy, which brings me on to natural energy and the way they've hidden the fact that you can get energy from vibrations and, you know, things that just flow through the air without putting anything in a plug and and stuff like this. And the more I think about these big monuments like cathedrals and so on and so forth, where they used to pack them out with hundreds, if not thousands of human beings where all the emotions are roasting hot and all the energy that's coming from us are going up into the ceilings, into these domes, into these pyramids, if you like. I feel they've always been a place to suck the energy out of human life. What do you think on that? All right, so I've got two thoughts on that then. The petrochemical industry is another tentacle of the octopus of global control run by the Illuminati psychopaths. So if you go back 100 years and look at petrochemicals when it was getting started, that's what kicked off the pharmaceuticals. That's what kicked off the auto industry. That's what kicked off hundreds of different products. So all of the hemp products, hemp was about to be mass produced. They had a machine called the decorticator. Henry Ford had a car made out of hemp fiber that ran on biodiesel. The reason the drug war started at the federal level in the U.S. against weed 
was because these evil psychopaths, Andrew Mellon was one of them, William Randolph Hearst was another one of them, got together and stamped hemp out under weed laws and they harnessed the racism of the, de- racism of the day by calling it marijuana to tie it into the Mexicans. So yeah, we are stuck in this mess now of oil prices going high, wars all over the world because of these psychopaths running the matrix. Now, the other thing you said is about the bloodlines. You said they go back hundreds of years. We had David Icon. The bloodlines of the Illuminati go back thousands, tens of thousands of years. And that's why, you know, they get incestuous, these leaders, because they're inbreeding so much in these bloodlines. That's why they brought Princess Diana in, was to get, you know, to refresh the bloodline there because it was getting too incestuous to look on these people's faces. So that's what they want to keep going is the bloodlines. That's their priority. All costs these psychopathic, rich, powerful, dynastic families, royal families, and other families that whose names I won't mention. Well, you know what, Sean, when you just let me refer back to when I was when I first got out, I was going to all these cathedrals. I've got a point on the on the bloodline thing, but let me just refer back to the energy and the natural sources of energy. I was going round to all these cathedrals, and I, I started to observe that the majority of these cathedrals on the roof is copper and lead and gold, and these type of metals, if you like, are, are receivers. It's what they use to receive signals and stuff like this. But every church and every roof is also earth to the ground. There's a there's an earth cable going directly into the ground. So I was thinking straight away, are these replicas of pyramids? You know, they, they believe thousands and thousands of years ago these pyramids could generate energy from the sun and, and make loads of things work naturally. Is that is that what is that not what cathedrals and big dominant churches used to be used for? But anyway, that's just a thought. All types of alternative energy have been crushed by the oil companies. And the oil companies, the military companies, the pharmaceutical companies, these are like the three biggest powerful mafias in the world as well. I mean, the police are the enforcement arm for these people. The contract, I mean, these industries are worth trillions combined. Biggest industries in the world. So they crush anyone who comes out with any idea that would compete with their profits well now we're touched now you've touched on the royal family what 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 do you think in this um this this megan debate what's going on right now it seems to be saturating the news the social platforms what, what's your opinion on that well i'm watching the crown as well and i've watched some of the megan stuff and the megan stuff it looks like a puff piece to me whereby you know there's been so much of a backlash against that couple that they had to do something to kind of counteract it. I can't feel sorry for them. They've got so much money. They're living, you know, so luxuriously. What I do feel sorry about is the death of Princess Di. You know, she was exposing the royal family. She was exposing the military-industrial complex. And, you know, she ended up dying prematurely. And for little Harry and William, you know, to lose their mum like that, my heart goes out to them because to lose your mum like that, it's, it's got to be... What prop, you know, one of the most devastating things that can happen to a kid. So I imagine that Harry and William seeing that, you know, they've they've chose their own paths. William's got got he's he's gonna inherit the crown. But Harry, 
he's like, fuck this. You know, this institution was partially responsible for the premature death of my mom. I'm getting the F out of it. So I can't blame you for doing that either. But Sean, on that point you just made, that they lost their mum and so on and so forth, why does everyone feel sympathy for them when there's thousands of kids up and down the land that lose their mums to murder, to drugs, to rape, and, and they don't really get the sympathy they need? No, yeah, I agree with that entirely, Darren. But I think that all kids who lose their mums deserve sympathy, whether they're royal or not. Where have you gone, mate? I'm just uh, putting the battery in my camera. Do you understand what I mean? Why, why do, why do these, why do these um, children of the royal family get the sympathy for losing their mother when there's thousands of kids on our estates who don't receive sympathy that much off other people when they lose their mother? And they, as, as you said before, they're well off. They've got loads of money. You know, they're probably going to handle that trauma, that traumatic situation, a lot better than A, B, and C on our estate. So. Why, why is the sympathy so one-sided? Why don't we care about the kids in our community as much as we care about the kids of the royal family of your life? Because we create gods, false idols. I and mean, if you look at when there's a celebration for the Queen in the past or anything like that, the millions of people all over the world have just come out. This is why the royal family, it's one of the most viral topics online, viral keyword, the press are over them all the time, because we, we create these gods so these gods, you know, they get all this attention. They do get all this sympathy. And yeah, you're right. It's, it's you know, people living on the estates when they lose their mums, they're not getting any sympathy at all. And they're the ones who need it the most because they're not getting any at all. But you know, anyone who loses the mum, my heart goes out to them. It's it's really sad. It is what it is, mates. You know, it is what it is, la. But as I say, I think it's just all crazy the way people lose sight of what's going on on the doorstep and take sight of what's going on a few hundred miles away from the front door. It's part of the illusion that the media keep us in. They want us completely distracted. Exactly. If we're just faffing around over what the royal family members are eating for fucking lunch, instead so of thinking about the real issues of the world. For ages, when you mentioned that about that bloodline stuff earlier on, you brought it up. Um, I've always been suspect about why they take blood off every patient that goes into a doctor's. Where does all that blood go? Well, if you commit a criminal offence, you'll find out that your blood was taken to identify who you are. All right, well, doing... well, there's, 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 there's thousands of people up and down this country, if not a million people, that every time they went into the doctors and said, I feel sick, the first thing they've done is, okay, we need a vial of blood. Now, 10, 15 years ago, they used to take one little vial. 10, 20 years later, they take fucking eight or three vials that are massive. They're draining your blood to the point where you feel a little bit drained when you come out of there because they've had this big needle sucking your blood. The point I'm making is, where does the blood go? Well, the record of what's in the blood goes on computer systems because one of the fastest growing industries in the past 10 or 20 years is personal data. So the more data they can get on you that they can resell, the more money they can make. This is why Facebook took off because no, they know the point, what you like. I think you're missing the point. What the point I'm trying to make is this, right? So if you're a child, you can go into a doctor's and they'll give you a little prick on your finger. You'll get a little minute piece of blood and they can tell you exactly what's wrong. 
when they reach a certain age, they start putting needles in your arm and taking vials of blood. Now, out of that vial of blood, they only need a minute drop to tell you what's going on within your blood. So the, the, the thing I'm trying to get at, if you've got a million people going into an hospital every year and it doesn't matter, you might have been three months before and got your blood taken. The next time you go back, they want more blood. The point I'm trying to make is, if you go in and get five milligrams of blood took off you, and there's a hundred thousand people doing that every week, getting five milligrams of blood took off them, where's it all going? It's what did he do? Just it doesn't matter. There's massive demand for blood, Darren, because in America, they were paying the prisoners to give their blood up, and states like Arkansas under Bill Clinton, they were selling blood that they knew had hepatitis and HIV, and there's still people today dying from that, what they did. And the Arkansas was the last state to stop it. They squeezed every last drop of profit out of that one. So there's massive money in blood. It's an international market. The more blood they get off you, the more they know about you. Maybe they got blood left over. They can sell it to companies who are doing experiments on blood, and they can also sell it to people who are sick, who need blood. He can also give us to the hierarchy that drink the shit, couldn't he? Yeah, but it's not a good topic for YouTube, that one. Good. We'll, we'll, we'll skip over that then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you understand where I'm coming from, don't you? Yeah, Dracula. You know, as you said, though, there's a big market for all this blood that they're taking out of our bodies from an early age consistently. It doesn't matter what illness you've got, they want blood. But it is what it is. Where do we go from here, Sean? We've got... We've got families with bloodlines that have been controlling the world for an awful long time. We've got communities that are being destroyed by these families. If these families see, a, if these powerful families see a family that's becoming powerful within our communities, they're instantly broken down. If not, they're in prison for a long, long time. Or is is that a, is that a valid narrative to have here? Javier, is he in the chat? I'm trying to find him now. Who, Javier? No, that's what is I mean. Javier? No, that's what I said. So, is that a narrative? Is that a valid narrative to have here on this? Oh, Javier! <laughs> I was reading the chat, Darren. I'm sorry. Just repeat the last thing you said. So, you know, when these powerful bloodline families, whether it's the royals, whether it's them or whether it's them, do you think they become aware of powerful families within our communities that are developing into really powerful families? And before they get as powerful as them to challenge them, they deliberately go in and break them down. They're given a choice to sign the soul over and do what those most powerful entities demand or get crushed. It's like when people approach you when you're rising up, approach you to be a Freemason. Look at how many people we've interviewed who've been offered the invitation to be Freemasons and they refused it and they got crushed. Look at what happened to John Sutton, who we were talking to the other night, what they did to him. So people, it's called getting co-opted, basically, whereby they will incorporate you for their purposes if you will do their bidding and they'll pay you shitloads of money or get you shitloads of followers to do it. You're not allowed to rise up in this world, Darren, if you're saying stuff 
that goes against the establishment. Look at what happened to my channel the other year. We had 60 million views on a certain subject that I can't talk about anymore. We got shut down. Little channels can talk about that all day long. But once you reach a critical mass, the powers that be will shut you down. That's how yeah. the world runs. It's a pyramid. The people at the top, they in, in control the media, media giants in particular. And as soon as you get big, you get shut down. Well, for us people over here, we seem to be getting a lot of um, narratives about Hollywood and the individuals that control Hollywood. And we're seeing these situations with the likes of, you know, the basketball players who are getting silenced when they speak about a certain group within the world. And you've got this yay who calls himself fucking yay. You know, all of a sudden he's been pushed to the side because of whatever's gone on. Do you think that's all play? Do you think that's all spin? Do you think, you know, is this all part of their process? Well, look at Casey Perry and Russell Brand. Russell Brand was doing massive chick flick movies, banking it in, gets together with Katy Perry. And then she went further into that Illuminati zone, but he backed off. He, he was sick of it, wasn't he? He's just had a strike on his YouTube channel now. They're trying to shut him down. He's he's set up over on Rumble. But he's just doing his own thing in the UK when he could have been a mega, massive movie star to this day, producing loads more movies, but he opted out of it. It's all messy, isn't it, mates? But what, why should we get caught up in this bullshit? Because does it impact upon us? In our world? Well, it does, doesn't it? Because these psychopaths make make the laws, don't they? They control our futures. You know, the kids that are getting born now, are they going to get thrown in jail because they're watching some dumbass videos encouraging them to take drugs? And then these psychopaths are going to make money off the back of it when they get thrown in jail? I've I've always known, Sean. I have always known. The last line of defence on every human being is the mind. And what they don't know, they can't use against you. It's basically as that. So I encourage people when they're going into be questioned by a doctor, by a social worker, by anyone who's got some sort of narrative to find out what you're thinking. They only know what you tell them. They only know what you tell them. And I think that's been the sticking point for decades and decades. They haven't been able to get into the minds of us. And that's why they started developing these Bluetooth speakers and um, smartphones. And because they now, instead of getting in your minds to, instead of getting in your mind to find out what's in your mind, they've now got the technology in place to put what they want in your mind. So now, the way they never, the way you had that last line of defence, which was your mind, they didn't know what was going on in there. Now they developed all this technology, Bluetooth speakers, headphones, all this technology that gets. Then now they now know what is in your mind because they're putting the stuff in your mind. So now we've got no last line of defence, and it won't take long before. 
then paradigms that the vibrations that they've got going through your mind, whether it's social media, whether it's your music, they've now got avenues to put exactly what they want into your mind. And now they've got full control of human beings because they're in the mind now. Does that make sense? Look what Klaus Schwab just said and um, Elon Musk. Soon everyone's going to have a chip in the brain. They're going to be able to monitor it, know how you're reacting, know what you're thinking, know what you're feeling. That's what's coming next. I think it's already here, isn't it? It's have an actual chip put in. Imagine something. I don't think they need an actual chip to be in place in your brain. You know, I, I firmly believe that the more advanced they got with these smartphones, they've got the capability of having a chip in your hand but it can penetrate your mind. I believe it's already there, to be honest with you. Obviously, yeah. eventually, eventually, as the years go by, you won't need your phone. You'll probably be able to go, hello, you're all right. No, just speak on your hand or whatever. And that, that'll be the advancements of this AI in it, artificial intelligence. And when I speak, when I, when I think, when I, when I sit there sometimes and speak about the way the future looks, I start thinking about the film of RoboCop and like RoboCop 1. You know, when you start seeing like a man and machine together. And the more I think about it, the more in the future, I think that's going to be the, you know, the biggest war on the world. Man v machine. Does that sound well, a bit crazy to you? or If we're worker ants and the people in charge want us compliant, what a better way to have us compliant than to turn us into cyborgs, than to fuse technology into the human body? So the way you see the way you see armies around the world now, the majority of them are human soldiers and so on and so forth. But then you witness the technology, and you you witness like every country in a race to develop the more capable, agile robots. So. Do you reckon in the future, instead of having a hundred thousand humans invading a fucking country, you'll be seeing a hundred thousand humonic robots invading countries being controlled from a computer somewhere? They're working on all that right now, and even the police forces of America are working on it. They're having laws passed, I think San Francisco, so that robot dogs and robots now, which were typically used prior to defusing bombs or removing bombs from situation. They're getting the laws changed now so all these robots are authorised to kill. So that's the way we're going, basically, isn't it? We're, we're eradicating the, the creation of God. So do you reckon there's going to be any repercussions on the back of the governments eradicating the creations of God, which is us, basically? You know, we're God's people. Well, Human beings are the creation of God, if you like. So all of a sudden, we've got these powers that be that are trying to remove God and the creation of God off the land and have I, um, AI robotic humanity. Do you understand what I mean? Is It's fucking, it's a messy world, isn't it? What's coming up, basically? There's, there's always been a battle, Darren, between the leaders of countries, the royal families or whatever, and the public. And every now and then, a new movement has come around and has overthrown the old and re replaced it with the new. What happens is power corrupts. 
And those people who are new, yeah, they said they were going to get in and change everything and get rid of injustice. But once they get in, they create even more injustice than what they you know, were pretending to remove in the first place. Look at Chairman Mao, communist China. They kill more people than the Nazis. So there's just something in human nature, Darren, that's cruel and dangerous and murderous and psychopathic. And these people are the ones who rise to the top, unfortunately. It's the psychopaths that get to the top. So when you look at um, Elon Musk, I mean, you, you, it's very hard to miss him, isn't it? But I've lo- I've seen him like fucking a year ago, and I thought, is that Hitler? You know, he's got the same, he's got the same haircuts, he's got the same structure, he's got the same physique. He's got, you know, I'm I'm thinking the way he's went out and spent something like four and a half billion pound on Twitter, and he's purchased Twitter and all this, and he's he's advanced. You know, he's advanced, isn't he? He's very advanced when it comes to technology and building rockets and cars and all this sort of stuff. He's the first person that was speaking about developing the chips that he can put in your brain. He's already developed that chip where you can have a chip in your brain and have iTunes in your brain and you can request music and you can request information and you can tap into Google, ask it a question. And So do you think him going into Twitter and purchasing that big social media platform is more... I know we all look at him like he's a lifesaver and he's not part of the bigger picture, but is he still a part of that picture and he's just sitting outside the box doing what he needs to do to get this through the door, if you like? He's an interesting character, isn't he? He's out of South Africa. His mum was a model and he's an engineer. And Twitter, the censorship on Twitter, I mean, right now I'm shadow banned on Facebook. The strikes to give me a ridiculous... I'm glad that he's gone in Twitter and bought it up and exposed what they were doing. That is a good thing. But there's good and bad in everybody. I'm sure he's got his own agenda. Is he the least of two devils, perhaps, when it comes to Twitter? Maybe he is. He's got this transhuman agenda, though, like you're describing, fusing people with microchips which is quite scary. And that's something that the government could definitely weaponize against the public. So we'll wait and see what happens next with him. It's a fucking... And you know what? The more you get caught up in this shit, the more insecure you become about life in general, don't you? So what I've learned to do is not get caught up in it. If it's not affecting us in real terms of our lives, don't participate in them conspiracy theories because you'd end up a fucking plant pot. There is groups of people out there that are stuck deep like Ike's, like these individuals, you know, they're well into it, you know. Some of what Ike's saying is coming through, but some of it's just not coming through. But that's what conspiracy is all about, isn't it? You're never always going to reach the fucking target every time, are you? But what I've noticed is the more you delve into that fucking sort of ideology of conspiracy this, conspiracy that, your head goes a little bit. You start... You start coming out of reality. You start entering a virtual reality because everything you're you're obsessed with is not really genuine. It's not really factual. Do you understand what I'm saying? (laughs) On that, on the back of that, for my people, our people who are watching here, it's important that you don't start digging deep into conspiracy theories because it'll drive you crazy. It'll take you out of touch with the real world of your life. 
you could definitely go down a rabbit hole and never come back. I mean, wow. I was good on his on his Jimmy Savile shout. That's my latest one, Elite Predators. We do a lot about Savile in that. And I'm you're always fucking bugging on, you know. You've looked at the sand. <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is, right, my first book that woke me up was David Icke, 9-11, Alice in Wonderland. I was in the jail in 2003 in Arizona. Another prisoner shoved it under my door and explained the real stuff that happened with 9-11, which I won't get to on YouTube because it's problematic. But the thing is, you wake up and you're shocked and you're angry and you read more and you find out more and you go down that rabbit hole. And it is an amazing journey that you do take, but you can get stuck down that rabbit hole and become paranoid and you know schizophrenic. What, and and like, it's, like you've done too, it's like you've done too many drugs. So... You, one of the conclusions that people reach is that nothing matters. If our leaders have lied about lied to us, nothing matters, and anyone could do anything to anyone, and that's called nihilism. But once you get through that and you realise it's up to us just to make the most of every single day, what's going to happen is going to happen. There's a lot of good in the world as well as a lot of good and bad, a lot of good and bad in everybody, in every institution, every government, every belief, every religion. There's good and bad everywhere. And if you focus on the bad, it's just going to do your head in. I believe if you focus on the good in things, it helps it to come out. And that's my philosophy. I just wake up, have a smile, throw some monkey nuts to the squirrels on the fence down below and get on with my day. Get to chat well, with interesting wanna, people like you, Darren. Back, I just want to return back to that Ike's and some of the books he's got. And the first time, so I'll give you an example of the first time I've ever looked at one of his books. I end up in Dovegate for the second time. It's about, um, I think it's about um, 20, 29 or something like that, right? So I end up back in there. I get put on a wing and you've got some kid from Speak called Mark Masher. Some little chunky kid from Speak. He was from... And when I'm when I'm reading in prison, I'm reading philosophy. I'm reading tactics and bold politics and all this mad shit, right? And then he goes, have you ever read one of these? And he comes out with this book about that fucking thick. And it's just got like all this 9-11 on the front and all this shit. And I think, how long have you been reading that for, Mark? I've only just started reading, you know, the deep. I said, you need to stop reading them, kid. He went, nah, the deep, lad, I read them every night. I thought, okay. Within six weeks, he's completely fucking changed. He's not opening his curtains in his cell. He's fucking, he's like a little hermit locked off in his cell with pure David Ike books. I just said, whoa, you need to get the fucking gun. You're going through the fucking water. <laughs> Well, I, I took a book, to, you know, I became thinking about what the fuck he's reading. I was reading a chapter, reading a chapter. Before you know it, you're caught up in it. Before you know it, you just start like that. You're questioning everyone. People who are, people who are writing letters to you, you're suspecting them. People who are standing next to you in the dinner queue, you're thinking, is he a friend? Like, Whoa, got to put them books down. It's going to ruin your fucking mind, mate. And Mark Mashalar, he went in for months and you never seen him. He'd come out the other end with a fucking wig, about three stone heavier. Like that, apparently. <laughs> I had to drag him out to sell and have him doing circuits with me, mate. <laughs> That's why I say, you know, it's very deep, very dangerous. Don't go there if you haven't got the, the ability to withdraw from it very sharply because if it gets a grip of you, it's going to take a year or two of your life and it's all bullshit that's given you, basically. <laughs>
<laughs> and that was the first time I've seen his books, mate, and the last. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they can do to you in this one. You can grab you by the balls and just start swinging you all over the place, Sandy. It's fucking crazy, mate. <laughs> it will change your worldview. There's a lot to them. It's There's fucking messy, them. But you got to, like, take what you think is good for you and your mental health. Don't get too stressed out. There's always going to be good and evil. Yeah, let's bring it back. The bottom line is, you know, there's a lot of bullshit in the world that are, that's out there that you can get caught up in and it'll distract you from your own path of life. You start neglecting the people in your own life, your own focus, your own targets, your own goals, all your own objectives start getting pushed to the side while you, while you get caught up in that bullshit. Always remain on your path of life, people. Don't jeopardise your future because you're mixed up in other sorts of fucking initiatives or, you know, whatever people are putting down your fucking ears or in your eyes. Just just consider what you're doing. Embrace you. Keep identifying yourself on a continuous basis. Don't lose yourself in this world of fucking vibrations that can send you scatty. So it is what it is, Sean. We're at one thirty-seven. I say we got a little fifteen minutes left. Should we go into the? Should we go into the people? Let's see what they're saying. Yeah, has anyone got any questions? I almost choked we've, on the got, my water got, there talking about Ike. Yeah, somewhat clearly say Sean's pissing himself. <laughs> was you choking on the water? I thought you were laughing. I was spraying it out of me because I couldn't stop laughing, <laughs> drooling on myself. So we've got Flamingo saying saturating the mindset. That's what it is. Overflowing all this bullshit in the brain that doesn't need to be there. And what the majority of the people do, Sean, I've done it myself in my past and I've learned to get away from it. And, you know, there's a thing called awfulizing. Are you aware of that? No. It's a way of what what happens is um, awfulizing is this. You, For instance... You phone your girlfriend, she doesn't pick the phone up. Instead of just taking it as she might be in bed or she might be on the phone, you start thinking, hang on, has someone broken in? Or has someone hurt her? Or has someone da 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 And what that dude is starts awfulizing your thoughts. And the more you start awfulizing shit, the more continuous it becomes. So it can go... You're all right, mum. Yeah, okay, see you in five minutes. Your mum doesn't turn up. Instead of thinking, oh, she's stuck at lights or she's popped into the shop, you're instantly thinking she's being rammed off the road. And a lot of people start doing that, which is, that's called awfulizing. And a lot of people don't realise what they're doing. But when you get absorbed into them conspiracies, you start awfulizing. You know, when you, when you, when you, like, when we all got absorbed with the 9 11, you did all this shit, all of a sudden everyone's thinking, shit, are we going to have that here? Ooh, ooh. And they're all looking out for something that's going to fucking fly through the air and bang fucking Liverpool Tower Bridge or the lava buildings down. That's like awful eyes on a big scale, isn't it? That's how the government keeps our anxiety up. So we buy things from all these companies. I just want to make it clear because I'm reading the chat. I was laughing at Darren's story there. I wasn't laughing at David Icke. I've interviewed oh, David Icke five times. David Icke, eh? I've interviewed David Icke five times. He's a great guy. And if you want to oh. see them, they're banned off my YouTube, but they're on my Rumble. Sounds. <laughs> well, let's not offend David Icke, people. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, if you've known him, if you've had five interviews, Adam, you must have gauged his personality. Is he all right for taking criticism if it's valid? We had to sneak him in a beer garden with, without a mask because he refused to wear a mask to get in the pub. <laughs> but yeah, he's um, he's impervious to criticism because he's had so much criticism going back decades. And criticism just motivates him to keep exposing these bastards. Because when you're over the target, that's when you get the most criticism. That's when they try to destroy you the most. It's just the same with me and you, Darren. In the, you know, in the past two or three years, we've exposed certain people, and we've had to go through the fire ourselves. Not, a, not on, a, not on. It's, it's, it's the same thing. The bigger your platform, the more criticism you're going to receive. It's a sign well, of success. The criticism, that's the, other thing. Yeah, received, the criticism he was receiving was probably what I'm like people who are academic, people who who thinks they're clever and intelligent, and says, the majority of the fucking shit I got was off fucking dirty dying drug dealers and weird fucked up perverts and trolls and all this. So it's a different but I understand it's the same sort of process, isn't it? People try it's and cancel it out, people try and label trying. you as a fucking head case. They go out the way to make you into a head case so they can confirm that you was a head case. Do you understand what I mean? It's fucking crazy, isn't it? I just tried to do something in Holland and it, it turned into it turned into madness. It was making news. Let me just see if I can pull it up. Because um, it went on for quite a while because we were trying to do something with him and he said he was dealing with this um, Holland stuff. Ike Holland ban. Let's see if I can get it. <clears throat> Netherlands bans. Yeah. Is it not going to fucking implicate no, I'm not this? Gonna say what he, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to say what happened to him. He got banned from entering the Netherlands with, a, with officials saying he posed a risk to public order. Okay, well, I'm mate. It's just a little speaker. And he was due to address protesters critical of, I won't say what. Um, his two-year travel ban was first reported on his website, where he said the Dutch authorities sent him a letter saying his presence in the country could cause tensions between different groups and disrupt public order. He says the ban extends to the EU's visa-free Schengen area. Meaning he's also banned from 25 other countries. The Dutch Ministry of Justice confirmed the ban to local media, saying the letter had been leaked, but made no further comment. And last month, Amsterdam's mayor, police and prosecutor's office asked demonstration organisers to uninvite Mr. Ike for his hurtful statements. Well, I suppose when... You are speaking half truths, so and you are shaking the cages that you know they're going to do what they can to silence you, aren't they? So it is what Definitely. it is. He, is. he is what he is. He's he's the leading figure in that area, and he you're not going to get anyone better than him in that area, are you? And as you say, yeah. the more you research, the more you go down that fucking, the more you go down that rabbit hole, the more angles you've got to fucking research to get to the truth, and he's probably. He's probably been down them rabbit holes for fucking years and years and years and done first-hand research into what he's speaking about. So I can't really see him coming out and chatting shit. You know, he, what he's going to come out with and what he's going to speak about is probably, you know, if it's not hitting the nail on the head, it's not fucking far. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
he's an extreme workaholic. He's got enough. He's got enough fucking people talking about him, hasn't he? He does. We're going into the last fifteen minutes now, Sean. What would you? Is there anything you want to speak about? Do you want to read a few comments? Do you want to read a few comments off the fucking thing and see if we can elaborate on them? Yeah, there's some quite nice ones, James. Sean is a quality, collaborative person, and Darren is the most relevant person on YouTube. Love you both. Respect from Ireland. That's from James Going. Yeah, James has nice. always been an avid loyal supporter, and you know I'm a very, a very grateful for his presence. Every time he asks and says nice, you know, good compliments and deep questions when he asks them, well, keep it flowing, lah. Work through them. Is anyone in the chat? Is anyone in the chat got any questions? Put them in the chat now. We've only got about ten minutes left. <clears throat> and are we thinking about doing something on Christmas Day, Darren? Well, I've mentioned it to them. I've said that we're going to be on Christmas Day, it's seven o'clock till nine o'clock. You're going to have me, you, and whoever else gets on. Put a one in the chat, viewers. If you want to see me and Darren at seven o'clock on Christmas Day, put a two in the chat if you've got better things to do. There you go, people. You've heard the man. If you've got better things to do, bang a number two up. If you want us on at seven o'clock till nine o'clock, or whatever Christmas Day, banger one in the banger one in the. Um... It's a shame on these stream yards because you can't do polls, can you? Well, they're all ones on that one. Yeah, the ones, and I, I knew they would anyway. You know, they're embracing the way we're moving forward. There's a lot of people enjoying what we're doing here right now. It's a different flow. It's different from what you're seeing on all the other platforms. Most of the other platforms that are doing lives like this, they're fucking hiding behind screens, they're fucked up on heroin, or, or you know, it's all madness. We're here, full face, speaking about anything and everything. And when we speak about anything and everything, you know, we're not speaking fucking daft on it, are we? You know, we, we're quite intelligent, we're quite knowledgeable, we've had situations and experience to relate to each other in a way. They can't do live streams, Darren, because they'd be held to account for the crimes against women. Exactly, the majority of them little weasels have either robbed pensioners, harmed women, fucking done all mad, dirty, dying. You know, it is what it is. Let's not let's not bring them into it. Just leave them to it. Agreed. So here we go. I think it's a overwhelming one, isn't it? Isn't it a nice one? What 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 are we going to be doing on that day, though, mate? What's the you know what's the agenda there? What are we speaking about? Are we just doing what we've done now, but we've had a bevy or what? We could bring some people in. Well, it's up to you if you want to just chat like this or bring people in. I'm happy, I'm happy with just me and you flowing. You know, we've got a good, we've got a little bit of energy going on here. But at the same time, I'm sure the people out there would like to see other people popping in a little half an hour for them, little hour for them, or as long as they want to stay, as long as they're respectful and they've got things to say, they can sit in here, can't they? They can sit in, yeah, and I'm sure the viewers will have loads of questions for us as well. Oh, tonight, Sean, we was meant to have someone else sitting on this podcast with us, weren't we? We were meant to have another another guest um, on but something happened in his family. Do you want to elaborate on who that was? All right, so I possibly got three or four guests potentially coming on, Darren's soon. One of them escaped from prison in Thailand, death row. One of them escaped from prison in Venezuela. 
were when she got to the prison in Venezuela, there was armed men on the roof. She thought they were the guards and they were the gang members. It's an absolutely insane story. People dying in front of her. We've got a guy from the north possibly coming on who um, got a 99-year IPP. And we've got an ex-prison guard possibly coming on. Oh, and tomorrow night at 10 when I get back from my sister's house, We've got Bruno coming on, who was in Arizona prison with me. Yeah, so what, what what's happened is the last the last couple of Saturdays, because I've had my loved ones up here, I've, I've been missing my Saturday night lives. But because she's very close to having our little daughter now, it's important that she's not, you know, getting herself into any sort of fucking danger with the travelling and she needs to rest a little bit more and stuff before the little baby comes through. So... Tomorrow night, hopefully, if nothing falls. So tonight we was meant to be having a prison officer on. Something's gone on in this person life, so I believe that's being put back to Sunday. Uh, uh, tomorrow night we've got, as you say, we've got this fella called Bruno that Sean's interviewed before and done a bit of jail with. I think he's willing to come on because of Sean's presence in here. So if he comes on, he'll be coming on at 10 o'clock tomorrow night. So when I don't normally do me live for the Saturday, I will be doing one tomorrow night with Sean and his mate from America, which will be another eye-opener. Because as you know, people, although Sean has interviewed some of these people, well, most of the people you're seeing coming onto my platform now, he's got a certain way of interviewing and asking questions and gauging his individuals. And I've got a completely different way of approaching it. So... It's like fresh content, if you like, from both angles. But the content you witness on my channel, you go, you can go and rewatch on Sean's channel. If you if you don't, if you don't, um, if you believe that you haven't got enough content to watch on my channel, and you subscribe to me, as I say, Sean's done over a, a thousand podcasts, touching on every subject, interviewing all different types of people from all over the world. If you want something to watch and you're bored shitless, go and subscribe to Sean Atwood's platform. He's got some decent content on there. He's got some intriguing individuals. He's got some exciting individuals. And he's got some downright nasty individuals. So it is what it is. He's going to tickle your fancy whatever way you're bat. <laughs> Thanks, Darren. And congratulations on you and, you know, the child that's coming along. And, you, you know, that's brilliant. And if anyone's watching this on my channel, then please subscribe to Darren's channel. Link is going to be at the top of the description box. Oh, have you got some of your people on here now? Yeah, we've been sending you people. No, I mean, have you got have you got some people on here now watching this? I imagine we do because you put you put my name in the title, so that would attract people. Yeah. Well, as I say, you, you're gonna have this. You're gonna have this content on your platform anyway, aren't you, mate? So it is what it is. I think we've had a. I think tonight's been a little bit different for my subscribers. I don't know what it's like for yours, Sean, but tonight they normally used to have a me in just, you know, speaking about whatever they throw at me. But tonight, I think we've just touched on an array of subjects, haven't we? We've went round the world here, mate, haven't we? Tonight, fucking hell, people think we're mad. We're sat totally here like a pair of burglars. Talking about burglars. <laughs> totally unrehearsed, organic chat. I think people like that. It's it's original. And Darren, you always bring out a different side of everybody. So you've brought out a different side of me tonight and I appreciate that. 
Well, you're normally the one in the in the in the power seat asking the questions and controlling proceedings. How does it feel to be on on? Although you've been in control, I don't mean this in a negative way. What I'm trying to say is, it's like I fire shit at you that you don't normally get fired at you. So, how does it feel to be? Is it giving you a new sense of fucking energy in a way? Is it giving you a new way of conducting platforms? Dan, I'm sick of answering the same old questions. So if people have watched my story, how I used to tell it when I first got out of prison back in 2008. So now I've changed it over the years, adding like loads more stories about wild man, just so I can talk about different stuff instead of just yeah. saying the same old things. Gets monotonous. So it does, it does. And I think, I think um, I once read, I once saw a guy and he said that every time he gets asked the same question, he tries to give a different answer. Just, just answer it in a different way to make it more interesting. So I'm trying to challenge myself to do more of that. It's not easy. Well, when I watch when I watch your platforms and you've got two or three people on there, it's 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 more um, it's good to watch, but it's like uniform. It's like controlled a little bit too much. It's like you say something and then you say something and then you know what I mean. It's like it's well, it's I've nice. Got, I've got six co-hosts. I've got I've got six co-hosts, so if we don't have an order, everybody asks the question at the same time. So the the order is one, two, three round the clock like that. If this like with Robbie Williams, it was me, Jen, and Andrew Gold, and we, as we said before the interview, this is the order. But right away, Jen threw the order off and just started asking loads of questions. So how was that for? How was that for the person that's being interviewed, mate? I was, you know, I I wouldn't really like to be sat here being interviewed by you and two other people. You know, it's a bit like three's a crowd. So well, here's, the, here's, the, here's the thing with Robbie. He's watched my channel for a long time. He's a great guy. He's into his UFOs, his conspiracies, all that stuff. Even though he's hugely successful, he's just a down-to-earth lad from Stoke, you know, on Trent. And we... I, I Appreciating how busy he is, I tried to end the interview. I said, Robbie, I understand how busy you are. We've had enough of your time. He kept it going another 30 minutes. That's that's how much he was enjoying it. So we really appreciate him spending that extra time with us, considering how busy he is. Well, it's been very spontaneous, just like Flamingo was saying. We've touched on topics that people are interested in, topics that they're not. But I think the way we deliver them topics and the way we form our opinions on them topics is is inviting to watch, is very appetising to see and listen to a thing. So, so may I continue. We've got five minutes. Graham Cameron, hope you're well, mate. Flamingo, thanks for coming in. RSK Nerox, hope you're good. Just sub, to, just sub to Sean. Well done, mate. I hope there's a lot more of you that have subbed to Sean there. As you well, say, you've been in the past about getting them up to that million pound subscription phase. So it's not hard to do. It can be done. If we keep it flowing like this, it's going to be fucking fantastic. I appreciate everything you're doing for me, Sean. You know, the the people that you're putting on my platform with me probably wouldn't come on my platform if I approached them. They wouldn't know how to take my approach, if you like, and... As when when you're bringing people to me, and I've been saying, "Oh well, I don't want him because last year he was sat there with him and him and him being sat there with them, and they was attacking me and blah 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 blah." 
I've had to put that aside, to be honest with you, because although that's the podcasting world, isn't it? Everyone's bouncing off each other, if you like. So if I start denying individuals that sat with a dickhead who I don't like, I'm sort of denying my progress, aren't I? So it's important that I put me, you know, me angle aside and embrace every new person as they come, if you like, it's instead of letting to, a date rub off onto them. It's hard to maintain harmony because... Like you said earlier, we've interviewed almost a thousand people on my channel. Some of those people have beefs with each other. And then, because we've had one side on, the other side thinks automatically we're with that side and against them when we're not. We're when just reality, trying to remain neutral. Yeah, we're trying to remain neutral, promote harmony, get along with everybody, collaborate, not have wars with people because it's toxic. And that's how people rise up. Look at the sidemen. They collaborated. They rose each other up, and that's how it should be. All this beef stuff, it gets views, but no one's going to give a shit in a year or two about who was, you know, who's fighting who today. People aren't going to watch that. You get someone's life story. It's a pure thing. People watch that forever. People view that forever. It's just sad that people get so much views on this toxic stuff. But in that's the end, they attract, yeah. they attract still, toxic subscribers, don't they? Well, that's what it is. It's the negativity, isn't it? You've got these weird individuals that pop up from nowhere, develop platforms on the back of other people's lives and names and reputations. They don't give a shit what they're saying to the, about them. They're just, they're, they're just caught up in a little horrible, weird fucking mess, targeting people so they can get subscriptions, thinking it's going to do them the world of good. Majority of them, as you said, they sit behind screens. They've got They've got skeletons in the closets where they attack old pensioners or they attack children and, and women. They've got convictions for them. You know, they are the dirty, horrible people. But because people like the fucking, the bullshit that much, they get views and they get they get people locking in, even though they're chatting complete fucking shite. But anyway, Sean, thanks a lot for tonight, mate. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it massively. Yeah, tonight, I really enjoyed it. Especially when I nearly pissed myself. To my people out there, um, I haven't been blank. And you, you know what I'm like when I'm absorbed in the conversation. We start, you know, my attention's fully on the conversation and the people. Normally when I'm by myself, my attention is all with views and I'm focusing on what you're saying and everything like that. So don't be hating on me tonight if you haven't. You know, I, I want to say, I want to give you a general thank you for locking in. I want to give you a general fucking appreciation towards us all, all my regulars, all my new subscriptions, all my members. You know how grateful I am for you continuously, no matter what. It's been a it's been a nice, pleasant night, I think. You know, there's been no hate in here. There's been no poison. We touched on a lot of subjects that other podcasters will never be able to touch on. And that's how it is with us. You know, that's what you're going to get in the future. And so may it continue. Any last words, Sean, lad, before we go out burgling? Just, <laughs> <laughs> Just much love and respect to all the viewers. Darren, they, you know, they, they keep uh, all these lovely comments that have come in tonight that I've been reading. Can't thank people enough. That's just a pure vibe. You know, we've had a laugh just having a chat here, just being spontaneous. And it's all the input of the viewers in the comments. It just keeps it going and, and steers it. So hope to see some of you guys tomorrow night if we make it at 10 or on Christmas Day at 7. Is there not something happening Sunday? So tomorrow's Saturday, isn't it? So that was the 10 o'clock one. Sunday, we've possibly got two guests coming on. 
between 8 and 10 on Darren's channel. Hopefully everything goes to plan and we'll have another nice, deep, topical conversation. Elevates other podcasters that deserve elevating, so on and so forth. Peace out, L5, shout people. We're going out to burgle. And obviously we don't burgle houses, we're commercial burglars. Peace <laughs> out, L5, shout, keep it real as always. Much love and respect, everyone. Boss mate. Chet Sandu's book is finally available worldwide on Amazon. He's one of our most viral podcast guests ever. The book is called Self-Made, Juice Paid, an Asian kid who became an international drug smuggling gangster. Do you want to read some of the back, Jen? Yeah, go the blurb. In 1999, Chet Sandu was arrested at gunpoint in Alicante Airport for smuggling the largest quantity of illicit pharmaceutical drugs in Spanish history. Interesting. Overnight, he went from living in the shadows of the Costa del Crimes underworld to being labelled a notorious supervillain in the international press. Incarcerated alongside murderers, rapists and terrorists in a super maximum security wing. He had to navigate a world of murderous knife fights, prison breaks, drug taking and high stake power plays. Good bedtime read. In self-made Jews paid, learn how a British-born Asian kid with disabilities raised in a corner shop emerged as a protector of his family from racist thieves and hooligans. Be prepared to be entertained, informed and offended by Chet's no-holes-barred account of raves, drugs, bodybuilding, entering the fashion industry. Did you know that he dated Kylie Minogue and Naomi yes. Campbell? <laughs> latest interview. Working the doors and life in one of the world's deadliest places to be incarcerated. If you enjoyed Chet's podcast series with us, there's a lot more detail in the book. Check it out. Worldwide on Amazon, ebook, paperback, and audiobook. This podcast is sponsored by Gadfly Press. We are proud to announce the publication of The Girl Gambler, a young woman's story of her escape from gambling addiction. The story of a young girl's entrapment in gambling addiction, the true advert for problem gambling and how it controlled her every movement, every thought and almost took her life. How the guilt and shame that go hand in hand with addiction stopped her from reaching out for help for eight years as she didn't feel it was okay for a young female to be a problem gambler. How she believed it was a male-dominated problem and how eventually she did find the tools that enabled her to become free of her addiction. Available worldwide on Amazon. Link in the description box below this video. Thank you for supporting our sponsor.